This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, peeps? Welcome back to Rebranding Safety. This week on Rebranding Safety Podcast, she's back. Helen Heenan returns. Let's jump into the intro and I'll tell you some more about it. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution or one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviours. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk What's up peeps, welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is the YouTube channel and podcast doing exactly what it says on the gym we're here to change the perception of potential we do that right here on the podcast and we do that over on youtube as well so if you're new here hit that subscribe button and the bell and all those magical algorithm buttons as well so today we are talking to again we are talking to helen heenan the amazing the lovely helen heenan returns it's like a really good version of batman returns arguably one of the better batman but I don't want to get into that, even though I could do a separate podcast on the Batman films, because I just love them. But anyway, before I get into our chat with Helen, just a quick word from our sponsors. Firstly, a little shout out from my own company, Project Miletium. Project Miletium is the mastermind community for safety professionals. Yesterday, as I record this on Sunday, yesterday we had our second ever quarterly wagon wheel. That's like a mastermind event that we run every quarter. We have a keynote, then we do workshops with that keynote speaker. And then we do something called a member's journey or a member's section. And this is where a member could come on. They present their story or the context to the, to the challenge that they're going to ask for. And then they tell us, a challenge, something that they want some support with. And yesterday we had an amazing one. Yesterday one of our members came on and talked about mental health and imposter syndrome within his career as a safety professional. And I would be underselling it if I told you that the conversation we had was just the most powerful thing I've ever experienced in my life. It was just phenomenal. And I've never experienced anything like that within any community, let alone a community of safety professionals, it was phenomenal. It was just unbelievable. It was emotional. It was raw. It was honest. It was open. And it was such, obviously, such a psychologically safe environment that everyone started sharing their own personal stories, their own personal challenges and how they deal with it. And we all helped each other to improve our own mental health and deal with many things. But, but obviously, imposter syndrome was one of the main things that we were talking about. So, well, that's it. I think, yeah, if you want to join, uh, check it out, www.projectmediatum.com. If you want to try one of our community calls out, which run weekly on a Wednesday and a Friday, then hit me up or hit Colin Nottage up or email me at projectmediatum.com and uh, we'll get you a free trial. You can just try it out before you buy it. Honestly, I know it feels like, well, I'm going to pay for... Uh, LinkedIn group and some community call and some Zoom calls. That may be what it sounds like. There's loads of other stuff like courses and resources, but ultimately those calls are phenomenal. And don't knock it till you try it. Trust me, it's just unbelievable. Now let's talk about our proper sponsor for Rebranding Safety YouTube channel and podcast, Paradigm Human Performance, but more specifically their HSE subscription service. HSE subscription service 
is designed by human and organizational performance experts, which are paradigm, um, but it's targeting that SME community, those businesses, those CEOs, those managing directors, those business owners that are just juggling all the balls, spinning all the plates, and probably at the same time. You are just so busy that sometimes safety, maybe you care about it and you care about your people. I think everybody does, but sometimes it's just you think it's all right, but maybe you think I should check that out one day or maybe I should ask for some help or some support in case I do kind of slip and start to drift drift away from reality, which is life. Um, this is the package for you. Paradigm Human Performance will help you nail down all those regulatory, legal and industry compliance get that sorted, but also help you put worker safety at the DNA to help you appreciate the worker's subject matter expertise of the job, of the risk in the day-to-day reality. Something that even some of the most successful companies struggle to do. So this really is a tick all the boxes packages. It's not like a compliance system that you're going to have to declutter in a few years when you realize that you need to evolve to manage the human factors side of things and become a bit more systemic and and so on. Or systematic, not systemic. (laughs) Um, You know, you're not going to have to do that because it's already done. You're already dealing with HOP experts. I absolutely love what Paradigm are doing. They're all about just educating the world, working with some amazing clients and helping them be better. It aligns with everything I do. It aligns with rebranding safety. It aligns with me personally. It aligns with Project Millennium. It absolutely aligns with everything I do. And that's probably why Trees is involved in pretty much everything I do because I just get her. She's just an amazing person and she's built an amazing team of people around her as well. So if you're still not sure, you're still not sold on it, you can go to their website and join the learning organization webinar as well. So you can get to meet the team, listen to their conversations, experience their subject matter expertise before you go and partner up with them. But if you listen to me, I think you should just partner up with them. If you need that support, if you're a small and medium-sized enterprise, you need that help, I really do think you should go and work with them. They're amazing people. Even if you're not an SME and it's not a HSC subscription service and you're like, actually, I could just do with some human organizational performance help, check them out. Honestly, they are phenomenal. So thank you very much to Paradigm for sponsoring Rebranding Safety and thank you for taking a moment to listen to those adverts. I appreciate it. It helps us keep the quality going and improving as we grow and as we learn, as we buy new equipment, as we finally kind of cover the cost of some of the stuff. And... Um, So thank you very much for listening to the advert and all the adverts prior. I appreciate it. We're doing as much as we can um, working with our partners to make sure that we can diversify the adverts and make them interesting so that it's not just like listening to the same old thing all the time. So bear with us. We'll uh, hopefully kind of make it sound a bit more interesting going forward. And I'll start to use my imagination of ways to do it. Podcast a little bit harder. YouTube, there's things we can do there, but podcast difficult. Anyway, without further ado, let's get into Helen Heenan then. I'm not going to talk about it too much because you know Helen because uh, you, you know you know Helen because you would have heard her in part one. But in summary, in part one we spent a lot of time, probably about half the podcast, talking about Helen's really complex kind of challenges within um, the industry, and we talked about how it kind of ended for Flyby during COVID and what that meant for Helen. We also talked about being a woman in aviation and her kind of unique um, perception or or opinion on it, um, which I thought was interesting. We delve a little bit into that in the the reflection. 
Um, and we've also got a mini-series coming up in the podcast imminently within the next few weeks, uh, all focusing on diversity within our profession. Um, so loads and loads and loads of episodes talking about diversity. But more to come on that later on. Today we get really into the depths of learning from human factors of CRM training and how Helen runs her training sessions. So if you're doing training, you're a trainer, you know, trust me, this is for you. This is the podcast. This is, if you only ever listen to one podcast again, and you're a trainer, you're a facilitator, or you're a coach or anything like that, you're running workshops, even meetings, if I'm honest, even like safety committee meetings, you want to want to make them a bit more engaging. This 100% is the podcast you should listen to. It blew my mind. And we touched on that in the last podcast, and that's why we brought her back, because we needed to do a more in-depth version of this. So Helen Heenan is back. She returns for another episode on Rebranding Safety, talking all about training. Let's get into the conversation. All right, Helen, welcome back to the podcast. Hello. Well, it's lovely to be back, actually, um, and, and quite exciting to be back, actually. Very flattered to be asked back. Well, I think last time we just kind of we covered so much, but we, we spoke a lot about your your career and your challenges through COVID as well, which I think is really important and it's really interesting. So I don't I didn't want to like cut that. Uh, um, and also we neither of us could spend another two hours talking. And I thought and that, as we got to the last like 30 minutes, you, you started to just plow out all of this value that I was like, uh why are we not talking about this and then I was like, oh we don't have enough time so I was like we desperately need to come back on and and chat again um so we're going to pretty much kick off where we where we took off the last time um but in case anyone hasn't listened to the other one you just want to give yourself a little introduction and then we'll crack on yes of course uh so my name is helen heenan uh up until the 5th of march last year i was a q400 captain with the uh, regional airline flyby and then when the airline went into administration i along with you know two and a half thousand colleagues uh sadly got made redundant overnight um so since then i've kind of specialized really more in doing what was another part of my job as well as doing the flying side of things uh, i was also really passionate about training the human factors and for four years i was the head of the human factors training department for the air crew um which involved you know a lot of the writing of course materials a lot of research into you know sort of new methodologies new ways of thinking uh new concepts new models and then looking to you know, apply that within the operational environment to then write and deliver, you know, effective and relevant training programs for the air crew. So I'm quite fortunate that that's um, actually quite a transferable skill because a lot of the things that we taught were not aviation specific. They focus a lot on human factors and, you know, um, human work. Mm. We applied it, of course, within our aviation environment, but of course they are you know, cross cross industry, um, you can you can apply them in many areas. So uh, yeah, since then, uh, I now sit on the human factors advisory panel to the CAA. Uh, and I'm also a training course director with uh, Cura human factors as well, looking at delivering um, the train the trainer courses. So uh, we don't necessarily teach the materials, we don't, we don't teach the courses, although that is something that we can do. But um, the area that we focused on and what I was taken on for uh, is actually the the training of the trainers mm. so we teach people how to teach it rather than teach them the stuff we teach them how to teach the stuff and how to teach it effectively as well within their particular 
organizations yeah oh and i started a degree as well oh have you okay because you didn't have much to do before (laughs) no well i had a bit of a midlife crisis obviously after losing (laughs) my job uh so um i rather than buying like a speedboat or a motorbike or you know a porsche uh i decided to invest um my redundancy money into doing a degree so I, i am currently probably about a third of the way through a master's degree in MSc uh, through Coventry, which is in human factors in aviation, which mm. oh, I love it. I'm absolutely yeah. loving it. I really I am. Lo- I looked at that one, actually. I've never worked in aviation. I have no intent to go into aviation, but I, I, I really want to do an MSc in human factors. Um, mm. And, and the, 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 the only, uh, there are a couple more now since I last looked. I know because I, I raised this in a in a whatsapp group that i'm in and a few guys were pointing me in another direction um but last time i looked the human factors was really just focused in like high hazard industries and and aviation you couldn't really get it for normal work if if Mm. if i kind of say that in 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 quotations like there wasn't a human factors for just work you know just like like or human factors and health and safety or something like that which is kind of frustrating because for me it was kind of like well actually it's so much of what I do is human factors and I'm like Mm -hmm. so so why is it just this specialist thing which was it which was interesting so yeah and but now they're starting to come out of they're starting to see you're really starting to see the human factors kind of really start to you know kind of pregnate the safety uh, education like um, I know there's a the MSc I think it's for University of Birmingham but I could be wrong uh, the MSc for health and safety at, like I say it could be a different uni but I think it's Burmy um, Burmy uh, Brummy um, Birmingham <laughs> uh, they they've just they've now got a human factors module which is interesting it's really nice to see human factors starting to enter the traditional roots of education for safety professionals so oh, that's interesting to yeah yeah yeah, how far into your MSc are you? Um, well, it's a two-year course because uh, I'm doing it as a part-time distance learning degree. That's yep. how it. That's how it's marketed, and so I am now on to module four. So we do two modules each semester. So we're in the second half of the second semester, if that makes sense. So we've got two yeah. more modules after this to the summer. Then next year um, we have another two modules in the autumn term, and then the next two terms is spent doing uh, our research project and actually we're doing a, a you know a thesis on on whatever it is that we want to research around human factors in aviation yes, yeah, <laughs> and I've got yeah. a list as long as my arm of things that I'm sort of <laughs> with looking at actually but you know I think I need to be realistic about you know what what's achievable in that time frame because it's not just about you know getting the answers and having the ideas but when you actually put together well how would I actually research that you know how would I actually gather data how yeah. who would I ask how would I have access mm. and particularly at the moment with you know with the pandemic restrictions and um, access to you know unlimited access to you know simulators training organizations is just not available at the moment yeah. so you know have to sort of think very carefully about not just what I want to do but actually what's achievable as well so kind of working with with a few ideas I keep little I keep jotting down little notes on my phone I've got that little notes app where you can just like write ideas down so as soon as something pings into Helen land that's it, it goes down that little list thing oh, that might be interesting yeah so, yeah i i really want to get into uh into this to this training and stuff and i actually think it'd be really good to just talk about the trainer trainer stuff like what, what yeah i think that would be really interesting but when i i want to i want to see what you think of, this is the example i kind of use when i talk a little bit about 
excuse me, I haven't put my phone on silent. Apparently, that's embarrassing, isn't it? My own podcast and being at my phone seeing up bloody Pinterest as well. I thought I turned all my notifications off. Let me turn this on silent. I don't understand Pinterest. I don't understand it at all. Well, it's just lots of pretty images, really. Oh yeah. Um, I use it for inspiration for a lot of stuff, really. If I'm looking for something, uh, I don't know, how to design my office or design thumbnails for a podcast or something like that, I just uh, go on, yeah. go okay. on Pinterest. Yeah. My, my wife uses it for a lot for, we're, we're kind of in a very long drawn out process of renovating our house. So she uses it quite a lot for that, like living room ideas and things like that. It's ideas. Just, yeah, it's good for that. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough um anyway what was i saying yeah when i when i kind of when people go well what what is human factors and i give this example sometimes i've done it once or twice and and sometimes i think is this a good example but then i think yeah it's a good example it's the film sully okay have you seen it yeah well the geezer lands the 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 plane on and 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 in the just court- so we're clear he did just so we're clear he did crash it that was officially a crash. Sorry, yeah, not lands. No one lands on <laughs> it was a river. Just, it was just a very good crash. <laughs> yeah, he, he a controlled crash. Yeah. Yes. Okay. He. Yeah. So he. Uh, I'm very aware. I'm talking to a pilot now. I feel a bit nervous um, <laughs> okay. about this. But like when he's in the the kind of court process, the, the investigation process, loads of people there, and like they 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 say like this. What what made me you you mentioned simulations, which is what reminded me of it. And they go through and they're like, well, this person did the simulation, and they, you know, basically they're, they're using all these simulations to say that what Sully did was wrong. Um, mm, yeah. And then what he does is challenge it back all the time. He'd be like, well, yeah, but you need to reenact the actual situation. Uh, and he kind of keeps going through this process and he finds it. And I feel like what he's doing is getting them to realize the human factors side of this, the emotion that was running through, the, the context of the, the, the situation, the pressure and all these little bits and bobs, you know, and, and, and it just was so interesting to watch not just because it's a great film, but that scene where they throw in everything at him and he's just like, for me, it feels like what he's doing is recreating that situation to say, well, that simulation is not what I was going through at the time and what my team was going through at the time. And for me, that that's human factors kind of in a nutshell. He's trying to understand what that human goes through at the time and how they're thinking and what influences their behaviours and so on. Yeah, there's there's um yeah the 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 line the 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 killer line that you refer to there is just when he says you're not considering the human factor. Yeah, and does he actually say that in the the film? Yeah, he does. He actually says it in the film. I'm gonna have to rewatch it now. (laughs) They're throwing everything at him. They're you know they're sort of saying oh yeah but you know these people managed it and these people did it and he didn't do this he didn't do that and he just looks at them in the eye and he says but you haven't taken into account the human factor. I didn't even pick that up when and I watched it. And then there's this like, silence. And then they say, well, what do you mean? And then, then, then he goes into the fact that, well, it, but these people went into this simulator premeditated, pre, yeah. pre-primed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They knew what was going to happen. Yeah. They knew when it was going to happen. And they'd been instructed on, you know, what to do about it straight away. Yeah. So there was no decision-making had to be done. That had been done for them. And like you say, you know, all of a sudden, bam, you've got no engines. Literally no pilot in the world has ever been trained to deal with that scenario. And all of a sudden, you know, he's sort of he'll he'll be he'll be rattling through 
every single possible outcome in his head at lightning speed. I mean, we've, yeah. we, we've got a pretty powerful computer up here, to be honest with you, yeah. uh, running through every single permutation, you know, at, at quite literally lightning speed, mm. realising that actually the only option they've got is to, is to, is to do what they did. Mm. Um, and, it, you know, it's fascinating, really, um, even going back to, you know, when, when I learned to fly, and single-engine aircraft, one of the things we have to evidence is what they call an EFATO, which always used to be very hilarious because it said the word fart. But actually, it was E-F-A-T-O, engine failure after takeoff. And with a single-engine aircraft, of course, that could have some negative consequences because <laughs> you can't get going. So the, the examiner, and well, the instructors first, obviously, but then the examiner simulates an engine failure after takeoff where they just bring the throttle back and you basically have to say, right, OK, I'm going to land over there. And one of the things that is drummed into you uh, from the from the very first time you discussed this concept is that you never turn back you do not turn back to your airfield because you won't make it frankly yeah. you haven't got the speed you haven't got the height the amount of speed the amount of lift you lose in a turn uh is is not enough to turn around and go back yeah. so you know the fact that they were even suggesting well why didn't you try and return back to the field like i'm not being funny but you know 17 year olds learn not to do that yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah I I know it's in that human factor that decision making process and what's also quite interesting um, what came out of that for me as a you know as a human factors nerd (laughs) I'm more than happy to call myself a nerd on this is the um, the realization and we we, you know we we talk a little bit about this in our training as well is that actually you know every single day you go to work you are experiencing situations for which you have not specifically been trained every single day mm. and you think because every day really? is different in a way isn't it yeah yeah absolutely now you go to the simulator which is i call the simulator the laboratory really mm. if you look at it from a scientific perspective when people are doing tests and they're looking at controls it's a very controlled environment so a simulator has to be considered like a laboratory yeah. and it does its best to reenact you know reality and the answers you can get from that mm-hmm. but it is a lab environment you know it is very very controlled and you can do what you want in there yeah so um what I found what's quite interesting is that they can they train you in the sort of the, the general procedures. But actually, do you know what? As pilots, every single day, you know, you say, OK, well, what was the last instrument approach you flew? Oh, well, I flew, you know, into Manchester yesterday. Oh, OK, right. And have you been trained to fly that approach? And you can see them thinking, um, well, yeah, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, have you? Have you been trained to fly that approach? On that, day, on that day, in that yeah. weather, with that air traffic controller, with that yeah. co-pilot at yeah. that weight, with that traffic around, you know, with that configuration, with that yeah, speed yeah. control. Well, of course you haven't. The list could go on so, as well, couldn't it? Like your psychological state on that day, your co-pilot, like it literally could, that list could just go on forever. Yeah. Oh, it does. It's indefinite. And that happens every, almost every single minute of every single day that you are in an yeah. airliner is that it will never be the same as the day before or the day after. And some of the scenario, yes, okay, we, we practice our normal and abnormal scenarios in the simulator, but in terms of, you know, what the scientists and the, um, the specialists call is ecological validity, you know, how accurately does it really reflect the real world? Then actually you've got to consider it as a laboratory and you have to acknowledge that, you know, in the real world, there are so many other factors. It is a massively complex, dynamic environment that no two scenarios will ever, ever be the same. And, you know, for Sully, you know, to suddenly be put in that situation, 
that he'd never experienced before, had never been discussed before. You know, he, he probably sifted through, you know, dig, digging into his experience, digging into his long-term memory of, you know, he, he could have run through maybe 15 or 20 possible scenarios, you know, like that. Yeah. And then realise that it's not going to work, 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 it's not going to work. Oh, that might work. Let's try that. Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. so we have, you know, they have this situation when we, treat, when we teach decision making, there's um, an often, and it's one of my personal bugbears, there's often a, an emphasis to, you know, we teach decision making so that people make the best decision or the good decision. Right. You say, well, how do you define a good decision? You're right. Yeah, yeah, carry on. Just, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm still playing with my camera. It's annoying me. God, sorry. I, that was rude of me. Carry on. That's okay. Um, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on decision making about making, you know, the best decision. And sometimes you have to accept that you just got to do what you can. And actually, sometimes, you know, um, there's a there's part of our naturalistic decision making processes called satisficing. So it's good enough. You know, I do not have the capacity to run through any more scenarios for running out of time. This is going to have to be good enough. And then you run with it. And then if something significantly changes, that means it's not going to work. Then, yes, review your decision. But sometimes you just don't have time to do what is the, the optimum decision, mm. the best decision. Mm. You've just got to do what you can and make the decision with the information. And that's a very, very common thing, mm. actually. Particularly the more experienced pilots are, then the more, um, the more options they've got that they know will be good enough. You know, yeah, that will work, right? And it's a workload management thing, effectively. You know, why would you sit there deliberately and artificially increasing your workload by thinking of maybe a few other options just for the sake of it? When actually you're thinking, right, that'll do. Let's let, make that decision. That one's done. Okay, let's concentrate on the next thing. Which you know, in Sully's case, was they then started to get some power back on the aircraft by, um, you know, starting the APU, the little auxiliary power unit. Then they were discussing, you know, how they were going to, you know, where they were actually going to aim for, who they had to tell, what they were going to do. Um, but, you know, in terms of decision making, um, one of my other favourite lines from that um, from that film was, I think they'd just gone either over, I can't, they went past the bridge or over the bridge, I can't remember. But, I mean, fundamentally, they were, you know, at about 300 feet above the Hudson. Ooh, you know, yeah. there were no more options at this yeah. point. And I love the way Sully just looked across at his first officer and said, you got any other ideas? Uh, you know, is there anything else we could do? And he was like, no, I think I'm out. <laughs> you know, just mm. so calmly. Like, as, like what? <laughs> what yeah. other options do you have at this moment? Yeah, it, yeah. Just, it did really make me laugh. It's like, anything else you think, anything else you can think of? No, <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> it is such a good film, but like listening to you talk about it now, like, I, I'm desperate to watch it again. Like I'm kind, of, I'm kind of good. The Six Nations is on because like I've got to watch that because I really want to watch this again. Oh, you must have been watching like that film, just geeking out the whole time. I can imagine you watching that. It's kind of like me watching a new Star Wars film or something, like just full on geeking out. Yeah, I, I mean, I have to say, um, what I what I liked about the film is that it was very accurately represented in terms of its technical side of things okay. you know That's quite good. often you know, a minute the minute you've got any kind of airplanes involved in a film you know you can pick out yeah. um all the uh oh, what's the word i want the the, the lack all of the, continuity all the bullshit. you know <laughs> well yeah you know and 
don't know, my husband and I were watching a film the other day of, of some, some description and they said, you know, it said, oh, there's such and such as, you know, flying in from Peru. And then this 737 like flies past the window. Like, not on that, but not. Like, seriously, <laughs> oh, that's not going to make it from Peru. You must, you must be like me. When I watch a film, because I've spent so long working in fire safety, if there's ever a fire in a film, like, I just wind everybody up. Like, I, I can't mm. stop myself. I cannot well, that stop myself. Yeah, Why I'm would like, you do that? Oh, that wouldn't wait, work. I wouldn't wait. do that. Well, that wouldn't look like that at that point. Uh, no, well, uh, wouldn't use that extinguisher, not well, on that type of fire. <laughs> he wouldn't even be able to see what he's doing in there. I don't, don't even know why he would go in. Like, why would you even go in there? The, the, it's been, this, this fire's been on for like 30 minutes. The, the place would be black with smoke. And this guy, yeah. you've got Dwayne Johnson's running around saving everyone. He'd be dead. I'm like, should be dead. <laughs> He'd be dead. Like, and it's not the fire that kills you. It's the smoke, you know? Like, I'm the proper geek when it comes to that mm. yeah well actually it should have been fine in there for at least 60 minutes if they built that to compartmentation um so you know she you could put her in there call the fire service everything would have been fine end of film and then it's factually correct i'd imagine yes, yeah. you, you as a play as a pilot watching anything with a like watching snakes on a plane you're just like well that wouldn't happen well that wouldn't happen not that we ever <laughs> would have a load of snakes on a plane but you know, anyway <laughs> Um, anyway. but, you know, my husband and I are both such nerds that you can even tell what aircraft it is sometimes from like the undercarriage assemblies. No way. You know, just so we're clear. Um, but, you know, you, you'll, you'll have a, I don't know, like an, an Airbus will fly past, you know, yeah. showing this plane and then they'll sort of like have a close up of it coming into land. If you that's a jumbo jet. You know, when, when did when, when did an Airbus A321 suddenly get, you know, quad bogeys <laughs> underneath? I just think surely surely somebody could have done the continuity check on this you yeah, know it's yeah, not rocket yeah. science you know but yeah, anyway somebody, but I'm sure went, that that's a plane that's a plane looks like a plane done yeah. like most normal people <laughs> well I'm sure that any professional as soon as they you know watch anything on television that's you know other than the news obviously but you know in terms of films documentary soaps that ref that goes around their profession I bet it must just drive them potty yeah yeah I, so I think what but going back to you know old sully i think the um what was interesting was the whole investigation side of it yeah. and the bit that i wasn't all that clear from the film because it was it was very much looking to like criticize him and like tell him that he did something wrong yeah and what isn't clear is whether that that culture was from the airline wanting to not take responsibility and be able to blame somebody to, you know, get an insurance play. I, I really don't know. Mm. Or because the film implied that it was very much led by the NTSB, the National Transport Safety Board, yeah. it, which is the same as the AIB over here in the UK. And that's the bit that I find that I struggle with a little bit, actually, because you know, when we talk about um, a, a just culture, when we talk about safety too, when we talk about safety differently, mm. you think like, the guy got put in a situation and he did what he thought was best mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. What what more is there to say? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, how on earth can somebody try and say, well, you shouldn't have done this, you shouldn't have done that? I'm being funny, yeah. sweetheart, but you know, okay, you can't use the plane again. We'll, we'll take that as red, fine, you know, but everybody survived. Yeah. Everybody lived, yeah. you know? And I think that that's the bit that I struggle with was the culture, the culture yeah. side of it. And it's not clear from, from, the, um, from the film. And if I'm honest with you, I haven't really sort of 
delved into the nitty gritty of the uh, investigation reports to tell you the truth. But whether that, and I'm going to call it the blame culture, um, you know, that culpability was from the airline or whether it came from the government, from the NTSB. Because, and regardless of who it came from, I was pretty disappointed in that, to be honest with you. In this day and age, I mean, what we, was that 2010 that it happened? 11 years ago, 12 years ago? I can't remember. But, you know, in this day and age, you know, to not recognise that somebody was placed in this horrific situation, did the best they could with the information available to them at the time, Mm. and actually ended up saving everybody, Mm. then what, what, what questions are there to answer? Yeah. but you know we're yeah. done yeah definitely oh i'm gonna watch the film again now right. <coughs> we have Sorry. No, no no it's cool right? like i feel like i want to watch the film with like you kind of just pausing it like you should do like a reaction of certainly like watch it record yourself watching it pause it and be like well at this point what's interesting here is that like, i would love that i would totally watch that i'd pay to well, watch that there you go there's let's make new, it a date there you go there's a new business there for <laughs> you I can see it now. Domino's Pizza, Sully, and you just yeah. poured it. I, I can I could build up a crowd of people. I, I know Adam Johns will be listening to this podcast. I reckon he'd come along to that. He'd quite like that. I'm not sure if he's a pizza man, but he definitely he definitely we, we, we can do we can do chips as well, you know. Yeah, chips pizza, as well. Totally, yeah, yeah. Chinese yeah. curry, yeah. beer. Just do it all. Just do it all. We're gonna please everybody, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> anyway, I feel like this is a proper I feel like this could actually make some real good money here. Anyway. <laughs> I feel this is a ticketed event um, and it'll be 50% profits from myself and Helen. Okay. Oh dear. Uh, That would be funny. Yeah. It'd be great. I reckon. Right. Anyway, we digress. Anyway, I'm really fascinated actually about, about this, this trainer trainer work that you're doing because, you know, I've been a trainer for so long um, and I genuinely kind of thought I was pretty good at it until I spoke to you and realized I'm pretty crap at it. No, I'm joking. Like there was so much that you said that blew my mind. Like the, the, just, Oh, I just thought it was so good. And I was so gutted that we only had like half an hour left and we both, were, you know, we were way over anyway. I think it was like a two hour episode anyway. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, I could talk about this forever. Um, but like, let's kind of start with this, this trainer trainer course. Like I, what are the kind of, um, I don't know. Could you can you break down like the maybe like the key segments that you're trying to achieve from that trainer trainer session? What, what like what are the kind of main key things that you need to that you need that trainer to have or or, or develop or work on? Would that it's and th- this is the, your trainer trainer. That's for that's for CRM training, isn't it, or is it for human factors in general? Uh, well, at the moment, the, the course that we run with Cura is a CRM trainer course. So it's right. training people to become crm trainers um i don't know i guess arguably there's no reason why the same course structure couldn't then be you know put across other industries Mm. and just change the actual technical subjects to the to the relevant industry i suppose it's something Mm. that's not really thought about that one step at a time um (laughs) so uh oh gosh what what sort of things do we cover i tell you what they're all stuck on um my fridge at the moment with a load of post-it notes if i'm honest (laughs) with you i I kind of do my course structure with post-it notes stuck on my fridge and sort of work out what would go well where and how would this follow on to that and how would this follow on to that and where do we need to put something else but uh, the the entire course it's a five-day course and it's multifactorial so we not we need to teach kind of like the fundamentals of teaching and learning 
Um, we also need to have a look at the actual syllabus materials because uh, being aviation, there's, they, they, they love their regulations. I mean, there's, there's literally books of this stuff. Mm. So we kind of teach them a little bit more about the regulatory side of it, because most often the people that are coming on the course, they have done CRM training as a as a class participant, as a, if I use the word student, but, you know, as a crew member. Um, but actually, when you then go to the training side of it, it's not only about standing in front of people and, you know, teaching them. Know, how to make better decisions uh, but uh, it's actually making sure that what you're teaching is in line with regulatory requirements as well mm -hmm. so there's a syllabus that is um, uh, prescribed um, for the recurrent training which is what everybody has to do every year um, you have to, you have to make sure that you cover the entire syllabus over a three-year period course, and then yeah. so how you break up the topics um, is entirely up to the organizer uh, the, sorry the organization the operator so each airline will have published in their training manual that you know on cycle one we're going to do these topics and on cycle two we're going to do these topics and on cycle three that we have to do these topics so so that's the first thing is we, we teach them quite a lot about the regulatory side of it and then of course you've got the different types of crm training as well so it's not just a case of talking about general human factors um the different courses that we teach you have um you have pilots pilot and cabin crew courses can be split or they can be combined they have um you have initials so what we call initial operator so when people are joining an airline for the very first time they have as pilots they have to do a two-day initial operators course as cabin crew they do a one-day course um, you then do recurrent training which as i said is just refresher training once a year that we cover mm -hmm. the we cover the syllabus every three years um, but of course every single time you know year cycle one comes along things have changed you know things have moved on um, and it's this is where the difference is I think within human factors training from say technical training because I, I, I flew the dash eight for just over 20 years okay and when I did my technical ground school 20 years ago we learned uh, for example um, I don't know how the prop reduction gearbox worked and what it did and all that kind of thing 20 years later it still does the same it hasn't hasn't actually changed we haven't got a new one it doesn't do different things doesn't work in a different way the standby hydraulic pump for the number one hydraulic system still works the same as it did 20 years ago so it, it doesn't evolve um there may be a few elements of additional sort of like avionics that may get put on but you know just like you have a new piece of software for your computer but yeah you know, the fundamental basics of you know how does this airplane actually work is the same in 2002 as it is in 2021 Whereas with human factors, because a lot of it is about, um, you know, new research, new understanding, mm -hmm. everything evolves. Mm -hmm. So every single time, so every three years when module cycle one comes along, you can't just regurgitate what you did three years ago and present it in a slightly different way because it might not be right anymore. You know, there might be new thinking, there might be a change of mindset. And, you know, if we look at this, this, this whole concept of safety culture, you look how that's changed. It's been through two or three generations of safety culture over the last, say, 12 years. Um, the same with, uh, if we look at error management and understanding, you know, threats and errors. We've been through four generations of threat and error management in the last 10 years. You know, it keeps changing. The, the philosophies keep changing. You know, we identify that humans make errors, right? Well, I'll tell you what we'll do is we'll teach them why people make mistakes. And then if people know why they might make a mistake, maybe they won't make a mistake anymore. Yeah. 
And then, of course, that didn't work. <laughs> so we thought, mm, maybe we'll have to try something else now. So then we then went to, OK, well, let's let's talk about uh, mitigations and let's talk about threat management and, you know, predicting what threats there might be and, you know, what to do if we make an error. And that then fed into the safety culture and that then fed into the reporting system and the just culture, etc. And now we've moved on again, you know, and actually, do you know what? <laughs> We're now looking at this concept that at the point you recognize that you've made a mistake or something's not going quite to plan do you know what who cares how it happened nobody cares at this point what we focus on is now fixing it so what competencies do we need to fix it if we've made an error an error of judgment or we've just done something incorrectly um or if you know air traffic control have screwed us over and we you know we end up too high too fast do you know what nobody cares how it happened nobody cares why it happened we have to fix it. So we're putting a lot of focus on now about looking at trends where we've identified key training areas as a result of trend analysis, but more putting more emphasis on the management of threats and errors as opposed to the identification of threats and errors. So that's just an example of, you know, a, a couple of areas that, you know, the whole um, philosophy of training changes. So that's something that's actually, it makes it interesting. Yeah. But also it makes it sometimes quite daunting because you you'd kind of need to have this insatiable desire to want to research and want to learn and actually want yeah. to apply it. So that's so that that's another area that we look at. Um, but the, the main area that we focus on from a, you know, a, a train the trainer is that being a CRM trainer is not about being an instructor. So being an instructor and being a trainer in this particular environment is very very different we're not there to give people answers and we're not there to tell them what to do what we're there to do is is to generate thinking um, understanding about themselves because you know a lot of the human factors when we talk about you know personality awareness when we talk about human performance and limitations it's not a finite science everybody is different mm. everybody responds in a different way everyone's got their default personality everybody's got their own set of learned behaviors based on their culture based on their upbringing everybody has got their own preferred leadership style for example everybody's mm. got um their own approach to decision making different experience levels you know everybody's got different amounts of um, of cognitive capacity so workload varies you know depending on you know for a given task workload varies so therefore workload management strategies vary very much in between each individual but you know when you combine them between the, the, the crew as well so it's not a case of right do this 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 and this and it'll work like you would, for example, with the technical side of things, but it's very much sort of like training principles and concepts and theories, then applying them and then giving, you know, a few, few guidance to the class of, you know, how this applies to you and some ideas of perhaps, you know, how, how maybe how you come across to other people, understanding that, how um your approach might be misunderstood with other people or you know why that approach isn't necessarily right for this but also we focus a lot on you know what do we do well what is your key strengths because you know what everyone's got their own strong areas let's focus on that let's take the safety two approach let's focus more on what people do well rather than you know too much emphasis on maybe their suboptimal competencies shall mm. we say am i allowed to say that so whatever you want on there yeah, I, I, I think it's interesting because what well, you came on to what I was actually going to say next. I was, I was thinking of listening and I, I was just like, actually, this is really interesting because if you're training a trainer, 
um, which is kind of what you came on to. You're, you're training a trainer in this kind of, you know, the, 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 just to focus on the kind of human factors side of, of that training. You kind of have to teach them human factors in from two different perspectives, like the human factors of what they're actually training, like how to tra- how to deliver CRM training. So therefore the human factors of the pilot, the crew, and so on and so forth, and the CRM module of human factors, but also the human factors of them and the people they're training in that room at that time, which is what you kind of came on to. Um, And I probably really want to focus on that second bit. Like that is fascinating. (laughs) And I think that could really benefit so many people that, that are listening to this, like in safety, because we are kind of static in the way we train, especially in safety. I think we're so, so static, um, <clears throat> you know, PowerPoint presentation. And some people were like, I don't do PowerPoint. Oh, I don't, don't do PowerPoint. Don't, don't, don't mention it. And, and, and do you know what? I've, I've done PowerPoints and sometimes I have used PowerPoints and there is a way and a time to use them, but, but I'm not going to get into a whole conversation about PowerPoints. But... Don't, don't, no, don't, don't get me started. Trust me. That's, <laughs> that's another whole episode. <laughs> but no, I, I, I do agree. PowerPoint has a place. Yeah. Um, I, I use it for uh, images and for videos. Actually, it's yeah. very good at hosting videos because yeah. you don't have to worry about formats and links and programs Easy, yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And it's it's very useful for embedding photographs as well. So it handles those very well. But other than that, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> no more. Please. Yeah. And that and that is that what you kind of said there is kind of where I was coming to the point that you said earlier in the difference between an instructor and your your kind of crm trainer to me sounded like i used to kind of call this right what are we trying to achieve here are we trying to train someone on a technical thing that they come away with are we instructing Mm -hmm. them or are we trying to facilitate a conversation to come up together with a with an outcome like what are we trying to do here and sometimes you need to be an instructor type kind of trainer and that's fine and it works whatever it's not personally my style but whatever um and and it works and sometimes I will do that. Like it could be, so for example, the, the last bit of training I ever delivered was, was um, fire safety. And we, we delivered that as a partnership between myself and the, and, and the, the gentleman from the fire service who was essentially an engineer. And he took a very instructor type stance. He did also tell some stories from his career, which were very enlightening and very, very interesting, but it was very much like, this is the regulation. This is what you must do. You know, mm-hmm. do stand. And, and that worked. And then, and then I kind of just kind of one made it a bit more funny. Cause that's just what I do. I like to make jokes and think, make things funny. Um, but also kind of try and understand the human side of this as well. Like, and understand yeah. that, you know, people ain't now as strange as folk as my grandma used to say, you know, and, and understand that. So, and that applies in the training room as well, doesn't it? Like you have no idea what delegates you're going to get on that day. And how do I create a room that that facilitates all of those delegates that I just potentially have no idea who they are and what yeah. their personality traits are like and what makes them comfortable, what makes them uncomfortable, what, yeah. Jesus, the list could go on. How, how do you explore that with your, with your kind of delegates that are training to be trainers? Well, from, um, well, I mean, f- very, first of all, very much lead by example. 
so, you know, what, it's not a case of do as I say, not as I do. It is very much, you know, we, we practice what we preach. Um, and then so what I what I tend to do is that we'll, um, you know, I'll, I'll deliver, you know, some kind of, I don't know, module, some kind of part of the course. Um, as if it was, you know, an instructional style of, okay, okay, well, now we're gonna cover this, let's have a look at these topics here. And then what I do is I pick it apart in terms of, okay, what did we just happen there? Let's talk about how I delivered that. Um, I think well, okay, a lot of areas, it, yeah. So, um, because it is very much practicing what you preach. Now, one of the, one of the skills I think of being um, a, a good facilitator um, is not to do facilitation for the sake of it. Now there's, there's what, what really, pains me and I'll, I'll, I'll say the word pain you know it just I just sit there and sort of like tear my hair out um is when you have somebody who um I, I don't know they're asking for people's ideas on you know okay what are the classic give me give me some symptoms of fatigue for example and so they'll ask the class to give their answers and so They'll, they'll, they'll ask the class their answer. They won't write anything down. They'll just say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. Somebody will suggest something and they'll go, mm, no, not really. And you think, oh, oh, come on. You've asked them for some symptoms of fatigue. You're asking for their opinion. You haven't asked them for the right answer. And the difficulty is that as soon as you say no to somebody, that's it, bam, you'll get nothing out of them at all because they don't want to, they, they'll feel humiliated in front of their peers because they, they were confident enough to say something and you've just crushed them. So you haven't actually given them, um, you haven't validated what they're saying. So one of the things that we, oh yeah. And then, and then the next bit of that is that they say, okay, let's have a look and see if we got those all. And they'll bring up a slide that's like got all the things that they wanted to make sure that you said. Um, and you just think to yourself, well, what, what was the point of asking us if you're just going to use yours anyway? Yeah. Because actually the whole, the, the point of a skilled facilitator is that, okay, you might be looking to ask for symptoms of fatigue because it's leading on to, okay, how would you identify it between yourself? You know, how would you identify it in somebody else? Look at signs and symptoms, you know, split the two perhaps, but you've got to have the confidence and the depth of knowledge to work with whatever that class give you. So there is no right answer. You need to apply your knowledge and understanding to the examples that you're given so and even if somebody and even if somebody gives you the completely the wrong answer then the minute you say well oh, that's not really what i'm looking for you're not going to get anything out of them for the rest yeah. of the session yeah. frankly so uh, and so we actively encourage people that if you're going to do an open facilitative session don't do it for the sake of it if you need to instruct something if you need to do a knowledge transfer just tell them the information don't do this kind of like, oh, well, let's have a think at what your ideas are, because it's just it's just time wasting, frankly. And it invalidates anything they're going to say anyway, if you're just going to overrule it with what you want to talk about. So what we then suggest sure. is yeah. that uh, you, yeah, OK, symptoms of fatigue, you know, how do you feel personally? How do you feel when you're really, really tired? You know, what does it feel like for you? Mm. And then whatever anybody says, you must write that down. On, on a flip chart, on a whiteboard, whatever. You right. write down everything they say. Um, you don't paraphrase, okay? If they come out with something and you know, oh, shall I write this? Think, no, well, now you're taking ownership of what they've said. This is their idea, not yeah. yours. Yeah. You're asking them. Yeah. And then, I mean, you'll, you'll get situations where somebody will give you some like massively long sentence. Oh, well, sometimes I feel a little bit like that. Do you know, do you know what I mean? And you, know, and you think, well, I can't write that down. <laughs> but you can throw it back to them and say, 
go on what do you want me to put what should I put on here as a bullet point just 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 sort of some somebody give me you know a, a bullet point so we kind of know what that means yeah. and you, you throw it back to them and then straight away you'll have them all you know coming at you then <laughs> you can have quite a laugh with it as well actually um because you can then so there'll, there might be some clown in the class that will just you know come Always out me. with something hilarious you know somebody might just say you know uh oh i always feel i don't know sexually frustrated or something (laughs) you know and have i been in one of your courses (laughs) (laughs) you know because yeah they're they're, they're trying to be the clown they're trying to kind of like show you up you know because they kind of and the the trick then is that you don't bat an eyelid just keep writing just write it down as if it's the most normal thing in the world and then as soon as they realize that oh well, she, she's just actually written that down think, well you've just told me that i'm not gonna I'm, it's not for me to then how much of a well, douche i didn't really did, mean it think how, much of, it. how much of a douche do they feel when they've just got sexually frustrated <laughs> on the wall james said <laughs> like I, I will also note once i said that was me i don't do it because i want to belittle you as a trainer i do it normally <laughs> as it's my go-to thing when i'm nervous so that's normally why i make a joke but but no, you're right you you get those people but what i love about what you're saying is is it i just i'm I've training for so long like i said i've been a, like an accredited trainer for for two separate companies for the CA, caa actually in 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 kind of your space i was accredited trainer by them for aviation security um oh yes which was cool we used to get like play with c4 and stuff oh, like yeah that. yeah, yeah. Really... you'd go like handle guns and stuff don't you yeah. if I oh, so yeah. cool yeah such a honestly if you ever get opportunity especially if you're like a proper typical boy and you love like you know blowing stuff up or you know girls like that stuff as well but i mean stereotypically you're a boy and you like that stuff and it's a great day it's a great day <laughs> to get that training like you just go to like this police quarry thing where they blow shit up and they're shooting stuff and it's just like mm, cool. i might investigate this further this sounds awesome so cool so we were a um we, we as a was a warehouse we distributed so much abroad uh over 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 air that um it it didn't make sense it wasn't cost effective for us to have every pallet scanned so we became approved kind of aviation secure unit basically so and with dangerous training as well did you do that as well yeah yeah like yeah yeah and we had like you know really strict like sign in and sign out we had like uh, high security areas with gates and stuff like that and only approved people could go in there and so on and so forth um but to have that we had to have like initial aviation security induction training and then aviation mm-hmm. security handling training as well so me cool. and me and this other lady had to become like approved trainers which is basically when people go what's that and i was like well basically it's terrorism awareness it's basically telling people how terrorists will target your products and mm-hmm. sneak them onto a plane. So I need to train yeah, yeah. people to, to, to do that stuff. And, and now I think back on, I would, I, before even talking to you, I would have done that training so different, but now talking to you, like just, I can see like the things you're talking about. I can see I've done it and I was trained to do like, to be like that. Like somebody saying, you know, me going to a room, your examples of fatigue and then having a slide that says what I think I've done that 100% I've done that. And I'm not afraid to admit that because, you know, I think I have to admit that for, to become better, but it's like, I've definitely done that. 
and the little things you say that I would have probably actually never thought of, but once you say it, it makes so much sense in that, like if somebody says an example that maybe is not quite mm. right or maybe not quite where you're going, I would sometimes be a bit, I would definitely be like, okay, explain that for me. What, what are you thinking? Like what, what made you come to that position? Uh, and then, but the way that you talk about it, it and you, you, what you're trying to do, if I, if I've interpreted it right, is make sure that you're not seen as the font of all information you're seen yeah. as the the kind of facilitator of their information um, yeah and make it and it's all about making their experiences part of the learning process yeah. because if you're using i mean there's a few little kind of like tricks of the trade that you can use um you know the the the, the, the trick is to make it look um very fluid very flexible um but you know when when you ask an open question you know we were doing a, a training called the, the psychology behind you know stabilized and unstable approaches so you know when you get basically screwed over by atc and you end up high and fast and then your approach can end up starting to get on what we call unstable because you know you're not at the right height the right speed the right configuration at the right time and therefore you know it can have consequences so um you know we, we look we look very carefully at those sort of kind those, those sort of those sort of ideas and you know you sort of say to yourself okay well give me some examples of you know how uh, an approach you know might be able to become might come unstable um uh, another example is that we were doing a training course recently on um effective communication which just sounds dull I know but actually the point of the training course believe it or not was to highlight that sometimes we don't have that communication you know we talk about that communication loop you know when you've got the feedback and the active listening and all those lovely things that we tick off and say yes that's very important but sometimes the, the, the point of the training was to highlight that you don't always have that and if you send an email you don't have any of that communication loop. Yeah, you don't yeah. even know that they've received it, frankly, yeah. let alone understood it. So, and the idea was to focus on the fact that you've got to be aware, guys, that whilst we go bang on about our effective communication and we all know how to do it, sometimes we just don't have that as an option to us. And so therefore we need to look at a different way of delivering that information because we don't have that full communication loop. Yeah. So uh, anyway, as a result of that, you know, we had this communication loop and we asked the class to give us... Um, uh, different methods that they communicate with different people at work you know so whether they're communicating with engineering operations whether they're communicating with each other whether they're communicating with the ground crew you know what methods of communication do they use and of course the other list is coming down the side because it's all done by teams so it's all in the chat function all the list is coming up um, now the idea is then to work through a couple of examples to then show that you know the system doesn't work but you know <laughs> you can't do them all um, and you know full well that email is going to come up you know full well that the tech blog is going to come up you know full well that phone calls are going to come up so what you do is you you, you make sure that you know you, you're fully conversant with those three examples um and then you you let them have their so i'm telling all my secrets now yeah and i'm listening that's for sure <laughs> um so you, you you do their facilitation you know you get you get all their ideas and this can work in any environment um you, you take their list and then you know, as soon as somebody says tech log, you think, oh, yeah, tech log, right, brilliant, whatever. Secretly, what you're thinking is, thank God someone says tech log because I need to do that one yeah, later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. say, so, you know, for your example, if whatever industry you're in, you know, if you want to take, if you want to discuss a particular item further, you ask people their ideas, their thoughts, their experiences. Um, 
And then you have to ask by, by asking the question in a certain way. And then by, like you say, expanding on that, or just go, just expand that a little bit further for me. You know, what, give me an example of what, what you mean by that. And then they'll expand it a little bit further and you can pick a few things out of that. Mm-hmm. And then what you do, as soon as, as soon as somebody's got what you want, you can then relax. <laughs> you yeah, think, yeah, yeah. right, someone's got it. Brilliant. Let it carry on a little bit further. And then the next part of the lesson is you sort of sit back and you think, okay, let's, let's take some of these examples and let's have a think about this then. So let's have a look at, um, oh, okay. So tech log, let's hit the tech log as an example. <laughs> and you make it look like you've just like randomly picked one off the list, but in actual fact, you're thinking, right, thank God. In actual, fact, log, you I need blew, to that. in actual fact, you blue petered the shit out of this and you're ready to go with his one I prepared earlier. Yeah, basically. But you make it look um, completely natural, completely um, off the cuff, you know. And I think that there's a little bit of the the trick there. But if we go sort of back a little bit to answer the question you said before, you know, about the people that you have in the room, um, that's one of the most enjoyable things about being a facilitative style of trainer but it's also one of the most daunting things as well, because you don't know who you're going to have. Now, I yeah. mentioned before with some of the training that we do, um, we have our pilot trainings, we have pilot initials, and we do upgrade training as well. So when people um, become a captain from being a first officer, there's some, there's some CRM training courses for that. Same with cabin crew, when they're junior to senior cabin crew, there's a, there's a course for that as well. But the recurrent training we often do is a combined session. So you have the pilots and the cabin crew in the same room together and we're covering, it could be a case study, you know, some of the syllabus, whatever. But then of course, you suddenly think, well, hang on a sec, I can't go and do all this like piloty stuff because the cabin crew are just going to not be interested and they're going to get lost. And it's a really fine balance actually between, you know, making it relevant to both sides of the operation between making it relevant to the cabin crew their experiences their working environment and then also keeping the pilots entertained because the pilots love talking about flying i mean they they (laughs) love doing their piloty stuff frankly so you need to kind of keep them entertained and so i would argue that you know out of all the courses we do the combined session is probably the most difficult as a trainer because you know, you, you have to write courses that, you know, you can do with 25 people or you can do with five people. You know, you can't guarantee that you're always going to have that magic 16 people in a room, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You might only have five people one day. They might all be cabin crew. You might have three people one day. They might all be pilots. You might have 26 people one day. They could be a half-half split of pilots and cabin crew. Mm. And then, you know, with my previous operator, we had different fleets as well. So I had jet pilots and Dash 8 pilots. I had... Um, cabin crew that were type rated on both uh, on the basis that had both fleets some cabin crew were only dash eight some people were only jet you know so you've got all this mix you can't just sort of like go off and like okay let's have a look at a case study about an e-jet you know because then the dash people are thinking oh god no jets you know whatever um equally you focus it on the dash and bloody dash like this and so you know you've got to really balance it and being able to get that engagement and being able to get people in that class to not only feel valued, validated, making it relevant to them as individuals, not just as their job role, but to them as a person, whilst actually delivering some effective training, I would say is probably one of the, one of the hardest gigs that there is. Mm. Um, and like I said, it requires quite a, a broad knowledge of the working environment and the subject in order to adapt whatever it is you're doing every single lesson you do you have to adapt it to the room 
Yeah. Which I love. I, I think it's great fun, but other people oh. can find it a bit daunting. So we, we do a lot of training on that as well. We focus quite a lot on, okay, so how could you write this? How could you write that? Mm. I feel like you need, <clears throat> like listening, well, my brain's going mad listening to you, but like the three <laughs> things I feel, no, it's amazing. I'm desperate to, I've, I've actually planned myself in my day job to deliver some workshops as soon as COVID will allow um face to face with this new scheme we're doing and like I'm, mm. I'm, I'm just so excited to do them now because i'm just like i'm, I'm totally using all of this like <laughs> uh it, yeah i love it but like i feel like there's kind of three things that you kind of need is like you need a good knowledge of the subject that you're trying to get across 100 i think that's a given you need a good broad knowledge of that and, and the and the, and the audience that you're that you're trying to communicate to like so yeah. you need the kind of knowledge of the subject of what you're trying to achieve and then I also think you kind of need um confidence in yourself like mm. to, to, to do to because it's quite a daunting thing to do is stand up and be be a trainer and try and facilitate some conversation and like you say you always get the kind of the classroom dickhead and and you always get the classroom grumpy person as well. In my experience, you know, it's really heavily dependent on the culture of the company. Like some people see training, it might be different in, in what you do, but in, in my kind of health and safety training, a lot of the time people see that training as a way to bash the company and they just sit oh, there yeah. all day. So it really depends on the culture of the company. So confidence in yourself to be able to deal with that, that dynamic situation. But then also the, to your earlier points, preparation like i feel like they're the three mm -hmm. key things like knowledge preparation confidence in yourself yeah. and then i feel like you, you you're pretty you're, you're getting close to becoming a pretty good facilitator or a good trainer yeah i i, I that's a pretty good summary actually i mean like, like i said the, the the key in my opinion the, the key to getting engagement with a class is is validating them as people this isn't my class you know I'm not in control of this I'm here to you know have a have a discussion about things maybe teach you a couple of things that we haven't really thought about before but by by and you know okay yeah we'll always have the grumpy people in the class you have the people that are just sat there like this and thinking oh god you know can I go home yet sort of thing um and you can spot them a mile off you can tell by their body language that they're just not wanting to be there and they're only there because they have to be and they think they know it all etc how, um, how would you deal with sorry to interrupt I'm just curious how would you deal with that because that's something something I've struggled with is dealing with something like that and i'd be curious I, and I'll, I'll give you an example i've literally had okay. a guy, i've literally had a guy do this i'll just take my headphones off for one second turn my cap around right i've literally had a guy do this cap down pulls his cap down slouches down in his chair folds his arms went to sleep honestly now <laughs> that makes me sound like a terrible trainer look at my oh hair my it's gone all mad that makes me sound like a terrible trainer because my training was that bad that that he went to sleep. Um, but this this guy was going to sleep before we even started. Like literally, I could tell the second he walked in that he was not engaged. He was not into this session whatsoever. And when, ironically, which I, I this was the fire training that I was talking about uh, earlier, that I, I never let the guy live it down because I knew this guy wasn't engaged. Like the second he walked in, I could call it. Like you say, it's so obvious. The body language, they didn't want to be there. If they turned up a little bit late. The first thing they asked is, when's this going to finish? Like, and I think with safety training, there's always a perception that we have to deal with and that they oh, think yeah. it's going to be 
uh, death by PowerPoint. You know, they've always they've always made the decision of this this training is going to be shit before they're even there. And you know, I've been told that so many times. So actually, I was surprised that this training was actually quite good. But I just knew this guy turned up. He didn't want to be there. He'd pre he'd pre decided what this was going to be, and like come in. He's like, "Well, time's just going to finish," and. He fell asleep during one of the stories of, of the fireman telling his story. And when we had dinner later, I said, I told you your stories were boring, mate. You made him fall asleep. But like, <clears throat> you know, he was just a really, he just didn't want to be there. And, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to use that as a reflection on, on me and him. Um, because I think it's the second, as much as I, I would do, I would do that training differently now, but the second he got there, I knew he wasn't engaged. So I'd be curious to just see, maybe if you've come across it but like how would you deal with a situation like that well there's two approaches i take actually um so uh the situation that you've just explained um where you've got somebody who is just overtly you know dismissing what's going on and doesn't want to be there um i play to their ego so i engage them overtly engage them you know because you know within the aviation context and of course within my previous operator then you know you kind of got a guess you know you know what rank they are you got a list of you know where they're based and you know what position whether on the the the, the dash eight whether they're on the jet whether they're a captain training captain you know whatever it is so you know what rank they are yeah. so the the, fir- the first the first you know plan of attack if you like is to play to their ego so, you know, as soon as you start opening up a facilitative discussion, you can say, you know, uh, I don't know, Bob, like, let's just call him Bob. As a, as a captain uh, and a yeah, very experienced, like, is that what you mean? Yeah, absolutely. And say, well, this is really interesting, you know, and, you know, somebody like Bob here, who, you know, is a, is a senior captain on the, on the jet, you know, he's going to have seen a lot more stuff than you have. That's fair, isn't it, Bob? you know, you must have seen this a lot, you know, you have, you, you must have some great stories that you can share <laughs> with, with us here. You're, you're like an evil genius, Helen. I love that. <laughs> well, particularly you talk about like winter operations or something, you know, and you said, come on, you've, you've been in the company for, you know, eight years. You must, you must have some story. You must have some stuff that you've seen that, you know, yeah. just would, would, would just make everybody's eyes wide. And straight away, you, you're not, you're not picking on them in saying, right, come on, you, what's the answer? And humiliating them and, and making them feel rubbish. But you're actually engaging them and saying, and as if to say, you know, I said, you know, I'm so pleased that you are here, Bob, because, you know, you, you must have seen this stuff before. You must have so many stories that you mm-hmm. can tell us of stuff that you've seen. Mm-hmm. So that usually gets them on side because they think, oh, I'm important. She likes what I can do, you know, but, and so that's that one fixed. Um, the other, then the other approach is almost the complete opposite. Um, you know, I've had people who have been, you know, sat at the back of a class. I, I, I tend not to have fronts and backs of classes. I, I can't. We talked about this last time about room yeah. layouts and how how room layouts can really affect, you know, how how the group behaves. Mm. Um, but you know, if you've got somebody who's just, you know, clearly sat there like this you know texting on their phone or you know not engaging or whatever um i just go and stand just a little bit too close to them 
mm-hmm. just just invade their personal space really mm-hmm. passive aggressively you know <laughs> i don't say i don't say anything along the lines of can you put your phone down please because that's really rude because you're just humiliating them and then you're kind of like controlling that and everyone's going to just think you're a twat frankly mm-hmm. um but you can be very very devious and you know you because you, you've got the ability to move around the room so if i see somebody is clearly just being you know, rude frankly <laughs> you know and i put that down to rude mm. is that i position myself in the classroom i just i just naturally walk around the classroom and just stand that little bit too close that makes <laughs> them feel uncomfortable so that they kind of aware that i know what exactly what's going on I'm not very happy about it but to anybody else in the room i'm just I'm just stood there, you know, I don't, I don't make it look as if I'm sort of staring down my nose at or anything like this. You know what it's like when you've just got somebody who's just standing that little bit too close to you for comfort. Yeah, so yeah. I kind of do that quite a lot as well. I love that. And, and, and again, that comes back to, that comes back to the preparation thing as well, doesn't it? Because of the way you've designed the room, it enabled you to do that. So I think back to that same example, we had designed the room with a front and back. Because actually, okay. the way the way that you des- you you describe how design how we design a room in the last time we spoke, that really was eye opening for me. It really was mm-hmm. eye opening for me. Um, and I t- I've been on trainer trainer courses. You know, no one's ever spoke about how we design a room. Never, never. Well, how I think I did, I've never really been taught it either. If I'm honest with you, I guess it's just one of those things that I've learned by. Doing. by experience I suppose by trial yeah. and error I, you know I think I gave the example last time of the time I was suddenly had a group of like 36 people and I was chucked into this room that was you know the size of a football field it was massive and I thought mm. oh my god this isn't going to work um but as a result of that you know I, I noticed over over the course of my, you know, my time doing the training that you know certain certain room layouts suit certain training objectives and certain demographics as well so if i've got a very small group of pilots i would have the room set out in a very very different way to a group of 20 mixed of flight deck and cabin crew mm. um so as a result of that you know talking about train the trainer we do a whole module now we do a whole hour on room layouts simply room layouts Amazing. and we actually Amazing. lay the room out in different ways and say you know how how comfortable is this but we look at it it's not about mm. you as the instructor you look at it from the perspective of the delegate. Yeah. So how how does sitting like this make you feel? And you know, I one of one of the room layouts I absolutely despise, and I, I don't know why anybody does it. And apologies to anybody who thinks this is a great idea because it really isn't. Is when you have what I, I call it the open U. He's gonna. <laughs> so you basically just have like a a, a a semicircle of chairs in the middle of the room, and people just like sit there. And yeah, think I've it, never in, done that. In your no, life, when would you ever put a chair in the middle of the room and just sit on it? You don't do that. You know, it's not comfortable for those people. They feel, um, I'm going to use the word exposed. You do uh, feel exposed. You feel vulnerable because you haven't got anything to hide behind. Oh, it makes um, me so embarrassed when you, when you <laughs> I, I think you did this. You, 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 you called me out on this in the last episode. Did I say that? I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I didn't mean to I didn't mean to rub it in and say it again. <laughs> if, if anyone's not watching this on YouTube, they could sit, they would be not be able to see the, the pure like redness in my face. Like it's so obvious to me now, but like nah, that was that was probably my preferred layout. I mean, I'm I'm not I'm authentic, I will say, yeah. And now I'm like shit. 
because like when you explained it last time, like that person's got nothing in front of them other than this void where James walks up and down in this domineering fashion. And, and I'm just, and they're so vulnerable. And I'm just like, holy shit. I never realized the, the subconscious impact that that, that was, I, I never put the chair in the middle. I hate, like, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put the chair in the middle and sit in that. It's a bit Darren Brown, isn't it? But, but uh, yeah, but I did like to be able to walk up and down the room and, and, well, just, yeah, the fuck, no, oh, just, uh, I've got no words. I've got no words. Like, I well, just, I mean, the thing is, I mean, some people are going to probably watch this and say, oh, yeah, but, you know, what about if you haven't got a lot of space? And, you know, so what I then call, you know, theatre style, where you've got rows and rows of chairs, but without desks. So, so rows and rows with desks is what I call classroom style. Yeah. And then rows and rows without desks is theatre style. Yeah. As long as you have a row of desks in the front, then you can get away with that. Because the row behind, just a chair, that's OK, because you've got somebody or something in front of you. So but the very front row, you either need to um, just block it off and say, look, no one's going to sit here. And then you'll have people in the front row. It won't be the front row, it'll be the second row, but it's actually in the front row because you've blocked off the front row. Or if you've got just a row of desks, you can put a row of desks at the front and then you can then have the rows of chairs behind. Otherwise, and like, like I said, you just need to sort of like um, imagine yourself being sat in a social environment, you know, in a bar, in a cafe, in a, uh, at your house um, and think, well, you know, what, how, how do I sit in the house? And nobody yeah. ever puts a row of chairs in a house and just sits there. It, <laughs> so it, why, just so... why do it in a classroom? Because it's so uncomfortable, not uncomfortable yeah. physically on the chair, but emotionally uncomfortable. And you, you do feel, you feel exposed and vulnerable sat like yeah. that. It's horrible. It's so and, true. And it, in a training environment where you're wanting people to engage and wanting to be um, included in what you're talking about, why on earth do we then make them feel psychologically uncomfortable from the start? It just, oh, and there's the, and then and the other things that we talk about as well is have it not just with the seating, not just the seating layouts, like where do you put the tables and the chairs, etc., but it's also where do people actually sit? And you know, I've I've met trainers even now. Um, I've had to have a word sometimes <laughs> it's quite senior trainers who um, they people come in and they sit down and straight away they're saying right come on let's mix you all up please you know we can't have all the pilots together you know on it's really good to mix everybody up so you get to meet somebody new like seriously it's really not you know <laughs> if I'm going to come on a training course I want to sit by my friends or somebody that I know or in a particular place where I feel comfortable um it's very, very rare that you actually need to have certain ranks or roles sat in certain places. Mm. And you can address that right from the start. You know, you can just say, look, look guys, um, free reign of where you sit, but can I ask please that we have at least, you know, one, one or two flight crew members on this side and two of you on that side, but you've got to give them control of where they sit. Mm. Because again, that can make you feel really uncomfortable, you know? It's, it's the whole wedding anxiety. You know, when you go to a wedding and like you're all separated up so and true. sitting next to other people. That's so like, true. Never thought of it I like that. Like but that's off all my anxiety. That's such a good example. That's such a good example. And I've never, I've never thought of it like that, but that's so true. Like, ah, uh, yeah. Like when you're, when you're having to sit like, yeah, with people that you don't ever really know. And I think, I think, you know, if you're any, if you're, if you're, if you've got any wits about you, you probably try and, sit people next to it but we planned the wedding and and you know we planned our wedding and that was very 
we were very much aware of that. We like mm. we we chose not to have a head table. Um, we we chose not to have a head table. We just had loads of round tables in a, quite a thin room, but we had loads of round tables, uh, which we worked really hard to put people on tables with who they knew. And actually, yeah. me me and Sherry, we didn't sit together. Sherry sat on one table, and I sat on another table. Oh my um, goodness! Yeah, we didn't sit together, and it's really funny. You see, in our wedding video, like we walk into this dinner room, and uh, and then. I just go, go see you later. And then, yeah, we just got married. I'm like, see ya. She goes to sit on one table and I sit on the other. And and that was partly because we we wanted our friends to enjoy ourselves. We wanted our friends to relax. And we wanted to be with our friends just as much as we wanted to be with, with with our family and with each other. And we were going to spend the rest of our lives together. So why don't we, you know, we might as well just have the next couple of hours apart. Um, But, but also because, there were a couple of people that we were like, actually, they only know Sherry or they only know me, but we, they, we really mm-hmm. want them to come. So it actually makes sense to put them on that table, but I'll sit at that table and Sherry, you can go sit at that table and you they, they can sit with you to make them feel comfortable. But I would have yeah. never attached that to to training. But when you use that example, it's so true. And, and sometimes, you know, you get, um, we've had it and I know our friends it might, I'm cautious of saying this because I know my friend does listen to my my podcast um, and I'm gonna he, if he if he can remember his wedding he'll probably think he's talking about my wedding um, but you know I've been a best man and had to sit at the, the the head table leaving my wife kind of a table without me um, mm. and then her the person she was with his uh, wife was a maid of honor so she was at the head table as well so it was okay and and they knew each other anyway but still a quite awkward situation and and I felt sorry for them having to try and plan that but we would that that was in our head we're going through we were just like let's just get rid of the head table we don't like the idea of a head table anyway yeah Mm -hmm. anyway we spent way too long talking about my wedding but (laughs) when I start to compare that to training it's so true that there are lessons to be learned there and it is, it's so much about, you know, if you want the class to engage and you want them to participate and feel comfortable, then you've got to allow them to feel comfortable. Yeah. And if that means letting them sit where they want to sit, because some people will be happier nearer the front. Some people will be happy if they can sort of sit sideways using their left hand, their right hand. Somebody will want to sit next to their mate because they haven't seen them for a long time. Fine. Do you know what? You sit where it makes you feel comfortable <laughs> because... You know, I kind of need you on side, really. Yeah. So because what are we I trying think... to achieve here is their engagement, and for their engagement, we need them to be comfortable. And yeah, it just makes sense now. Everything you're saying makes sense, but that <laughs> is not how I think safety people are trained to train. I think if you're trained to train, that's not how. Because all of those tactics that you talk about, which now just make so much sense that they are stupid. Like let's let's mix people up, let's get you let's get you uncomfortable. And it's like, hang on a minute, what we've said there is just exactly what we don't want. We want yeah. them to so the be. First thing I've done is just pissed you off. Frankly, yeah. <laughs> is is there a time? <laughs> is there a time where you might want them to be uncomfortable and you might want to mix them up or not? Um. First, the, the, the former, no, the latter, yes. Uh, we did uh, a, a combined session about two or three years ago, I think it was, um, and we were looking at a case study and I wanted them I wanted them in groups as close as possible to be what I call constituted crews, so a mix of flight deck and cabin crew. So okay. the only stipulations is as they walked in, I put a 
you know, a little note on the whiteboard and say, please, can I please can we make sure we have at least one pilot and at least one cabin crew member on each table? Yeah. And there was like three tables of, you know, six or eight seats, however one it was. So that was my only stipulation. So as long as there was at least one pilot and one cabin crew member on each table, then the rest of the table didn't really matter because then, and then it, it tended to naturally sort itself out, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, if I only had two pilots on the course and I had three tables, then obviously we couldn't achieve that. But, you know, we do what we can. So we have, you know, pilot on each table. But then they didn't have to sit there kind of feeling awkward because all the exercises that we had, all the discussion items. So it was basically looking through a case study and I read it kind of like a bit like a story. I think we talked about this last time, actually, yeah, yeah. when I actually read the yeah, story. Yeah, this blew my, my mind. This blew <laughs> it my was mind. quite amusing. So you took um, your daughter, like a, 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 did you steal a book off your daughter or something, if I remember right? Yeah, yeah. nursery rhyme, n- nursery story, my first nursery stories. And I had my notes in the book. Yeah. And then every time, every time a word was written in blue with a star, I had to press my clicker because then it brought up the relevant picture behind my head, which related to the story at the time so it looked very natural but it was actually so very very prescriptive um but then what we then every now and again we would then stop the story and say well hang on a sec in in your tables let's imagine that you are these this crew okay you're you're the cabin crew you're the pilots you know what would you do what would you actually do given this particular scenario so we kind of got them to discuss the the scenario and you know what what they might do in that particular situation but as a constituted crew so therefore that's why i needed you know to have pilots and cabin crew on each table so that they could then act as if they were a crew which made it more kind of realistic to what they would be like you know around but it wasn't it's not really an an uncomfortable situation for them because every every morning every afternoon before they flight you know we have tables in our crew we have we had like say last year um we had tables in <laughs> literally when everybody would sit around you know a table having a briefing so it, it, oh, it yeah. felt like it was just a pre-flight briefing you know discussing a scenario so it wasn't an abnormal yeah. scenario um but no i i'm failing to think of an example where i would want people to feel uncomfortable and awkward mm. Un- unless that was the learning objective you know when we're looking perhaps at personalities, behaviours and, you know, um, self-awareness, perhaps, you know, to, to give that experiential learning, to make people feel like, because when you behave like that, that's how they feel. Maybe. I don't know. But I haven't done it yet. I, I don't see any benefit in it at all, frankly. My, my objective is to make the room as comfortable. There's a lot of talk at the moment about psychological safety. Yeah. within organizations which and is I what guess we're talking about really here isn't it isn't yeah well I think that's quite probably thinking about it that's probably what I try and achieve in my class Definitely. is this psychological safety where anybody can question anything anybody Definitely. can say anything discuss anything nothing is dismissed nobody is belittled nobody is humiliated everybody feels comfortable um physically comfortable but also psychologically comfortable as well mm. because everything that they do is is endorsed and you know um and validated i suppose yeah. so yeah, well they might even learn something as well you know <laughs> yeah would <laughs> yeah. not just become just really comfortable for like a few hours they didn't learn shit but they were really comfortable but you know we had a, we had a good laugh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, but interesting enough what you've just said is like the other side of it actually so traditionally crm training has all been i, I put it under the banner well that's all very interesting but what's the point yeah you know? and i i I still see it now, you know, have a discussion about something, which is, yeah, it's quite interesting, but 
what's the point? What's the point? Why are we discussing this? Mm. Um, and so one of the other things is that we teach uh, on the train the trainer course is actually how to develop lesson plans. Um, I said before that you know we have these these cycles of, of topics. So in one training cycle, you might have seven or eight topics that you have to cover because there's there's I don't know about twenty things that you have to do over the three year period. And the reality of it is, is that you might only get an hour and a half to do seven topics. Mm. So if you start siloing it, um, which, I, which I, we still see that a lot, actually, that people say, right, we're going to talk about information processing. Oh, now we're going to talk about decision making. That's not, not realistic. So one of the things we talk about is developing lesson plans and actually starting from the end game and actually identifying um, what we're what trying we're to achieve. Be. Yeah, but from a training needs analysis. Mm. So, you know, we, we, we train them to go to the, you know, the, the actual training managers, the heads of training, the safety department and say, look, this year we, you know, we, we're developing the combined CRM. Don't talk about the syllabus for now, because the syllabus can always be fitted into the materials I found. So what is it that we need to cover? What are the trends? You know, what are the safety concerns? What are the, um, the, the training deficiencies that we're seeing as a broad generalization? And so what we do is we identify what it is we're going to cover. Then we look at, okay, how are we going to cover this? How can we make this effective by bringing in some of the CRM theories and principles? Mm -hmm. And then at the end of it, we then sort of go through and say, well, actually, yeah, we've covered all that. Um, and it could be that we're missing one particular part, in which case, okay, so we need to talk in a little bit about, um, I don't know, effective communication between ground services. Okay, well, let, let's bring that into this section here. And then so, so I kind of, we kind of teach people to work backwards so we start with what is the point and then we kind of write the training session because what you'll find is you can deliver a 45 minute session on a particular learning topic and you might have covered sort of like i don't know six or seven topics within within the syllabus maybe not even the ones you need to cover but the point is they're kind of embedded within there because mm. as you know uh within safety looking at human factors then you don't silo it you know everything overlaps everything affects it, everything else yeah. so actually it's worth highlighting that within the training as well and actually saying look we're not going to silo it we're going to talk today about the psychology of stable and unstable approaches um, because that's come up as an identified training need as a result of a particular spate of particular reports that have come from a particular airfield so let's have a talk about that you know let's have a talk about what's going on here and give you some another tool and other skills to to recognize it understand that it's not your fault you know but let's focus on fixing it and so you kind of develop it that way as well so it's not only about teaching it but it's also about sort of the background research as well and we do that all in five days <laughs> that's just phenomenal like i think there's so much that we as the profession for more general safety training or even any training can take away from that like 100% like all of those things we said but even just even if it was just that last thing that we're talking about like I think so many times if we actually ask ourselves like really critically ask ourselves what are we trying to achieve from this training and do yeah. we think we'll deliver it from this training session I've designed and I think a great example would be manual handling training I don't know if you've mm. ever been on a manual handling training course right but it's always in a room lifting boxes off the floor onto the table off the table back onto the floor and sometimes we might mix it up by putting something that moves in there so that you know when you pick it up you're like oh the center of gravity moves like, like yeah that would really entertain my six month old for about 30 seconds and then should be bored of it because it's stupid <laughs> and it's shit 
But if you actually ask them, what are we trying to achieve here? We're trying to achieve people lifting better. Get out of that boardroom and go on a shop floor and then just facilitate yeah. some real life learning on the spot. On the spot, right? Who works in this area? Are well, you working in this area? Cool. Let, let's just run us through what work looks like, please. And let, let's yeah. do that. Like, what, what kind of manual handling do you do here? What do we think about? And if you want to do some of the technical, to your point, like knowledge transfers of how the back works and stuff like that, then we can do that in the classroom if we need to. Yeah. But we could also facilitate it in the moment as well on the workplace. So, and I just think if we critically ask ourselves, what are we trying to achieve from this session? I think nine times out of 10, we'd end up getting our butt off the chairs and just going into the workplace. And, and actually yeah. looking at stuff. But we have this preconception of what training should look like, I think. The training should be a knowledge transfer from PowerPoint to person. And it's just like, oh, God. So there's definitely so much we can take away from that that you said. And that's just one thing that, you know, I kind of picked up off that last bit. Um, it's just mind-blowing. Definitely. Well, I mean, like I said, you know, there's a lot of the stuff that, you know, we look at from the, from the you know, how to how to train parts of it Let, let's not look at the specifics of how to train the aviation related topics but <clears throat> how to well you know looking at the differences of instruction versus facilitative training you know who benefits from what why do we do it why is this important why is that important because the important thing to recognize is that both of those both of those techniques and those styles have a place mm. they both have you know, their, um, their little niche, you know, it's not that you must always, it's like leadership styles. There is no one leadership style that suits every single environment. You have to make that assessment based on, you know, the scenario that you're faced with. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with teaching styles. You know, you have to have this enormous wealth, you know, people call it, oh, your toolbox, um, and other cliches, you know, of, of, of different ways to achieve the same goal. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, like you say, it's about applying the right, skill and the right technique um and you know that some of the some of the best trainers that I'm, i've observed you know as an examiner but also you know when i've been on a course myself and I'm, I'm watching them closely is that they just flip between instructor facilitator instructor yeah, facilitator yeah, and it's yeah. seamless it's absolutely seamless and you just think oh I, I aspire to that you know that that's kind of what i aspire to is to be able yeah. to just do that um, so this is kind of, again, it's one of the areas that we cover because there is a, there is a place for instructional delivery. Yeah. There absolutely is. There must be, particularly at initials, you know, when we're actually looking at the company culture and, you know, competency frameworks and actually the applied CRM side of things, the assessment kind of things, there is a place for instructional knowledge transfer. But certainly in recurrent and certainly when we're doing the combined sessions, you know, you've, you've just got to adapt. You've got to adapt to the class. You've got to really know your stuff. I mean, really, really know your subjects and know the, know the objectives. You know, why are we teaching this? To then, you know, get the best out of that class and hope, you know, so they can go away thinking. And there's nothing I love more. I mean, the, the, the best endorsement I could ever have was when somebody would walk out of that class and say, I really enjoyed that, Helen. Yeah. Thank you. Really, awesome. really enjoyed it. But right, that's it. My life is complete. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. I, um, I, I've worked for a company once that, that culture wasn't, wasn't very good. And, um, and it was very much like um, really command and control culture and stuff like that. And, uh, and, and to your point there, like one of the best feedbacks I've ever got off a training session was um, she came come over to me and she went, I'm surprised you haven't been fired yet. And I was like, oh, sorry, what? 
I swear, because that training was the best training I've been on, but that does not fit within this company. Um, and I was like, uh, thanks, I think. <laughs> but like what she was trying to say was like, she's been desperate for a different approach to the culture of this business. And when she had the training and it was a bit more, I'm not bigging myself up, but you know, it was just a good example. And that, that's always stuck in my head. And you're right. That, oh. that keeps me bouncing for well, years. Even when I think back on it now, I just think, Oh, what a great compliment that was. But also a real good insight into what the culture was like of that company. But anyway, yeah. right. We have been speaking for a long time, Helen. Oh, it's been so much fun talking to you. I kind of want to do some train the trainer. I want to kind of do some training courses with you now. I'm just like, oh, I'm all fired I, up. I, I feel like I want you to train me all over again how to be a trainer, <laughs> if I'm honest. Um, so, so we'll wrap it up. So, so like, how is there <laughs> anyone? Date. Is there anyone you kind of so you mentioned this trainer trainer course you're doing with with uh, I can't remember how to pronounce the company. Do you want to just Cora. tell us? A-U-R-A, yeah. Right. Do you want to just tell us about, about the work you're doing there and, and if people are in that space and they needed to get involved or wanted to get involved, how they could do that? Yeah, of course. Uh, so um, how, can I, how can I start this? Um, my role primarily now then is as a, a training course director with Cura Human Factors. So they look actually at uh, developing human factors training across multiple industries, actually, not just aviation. Um, the course I'm specifically involved with, as I said before, is the, the CRM trainers course, uh, which we've got courses running um, I think every other month from May onwards, I want to say. It's a week-long okay. course. Um, but we also do refresher training. So one of the EASA regulatory requirements for all CRM trainers uh, is to do refresher training once every three years. So we also offer that as a, an integrated course as well. But, you know, if anybody's looking to do, um, you know, refresher of just trainer skills, we can do sort of like one-off courses for that as well. Um, and sort of the fundamental of, you know, training delivery in the style in the style that we do you know if there's anything that you want to know then give Kura a call and uh, you know we can find the right person for for the right job awesome that's great thank you very much Helen. thank you very much for your time you're blowing my mind as per usual I think we'll definitely have to get you back on you're amazing <laughs> oh thank you so much honestly I've been so I was so flattered and I just, I just feel sorry for all the people I've done training to, to literally done training to compared to how you do training. Like, I feel like I've just, <laughs> I just spoken to people over the years. I just feel sorry for all of those people because my training will be so much different now uh, and hopefully so much better. So thank you very much for that. Okay, peeps. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Helen. She's such a lovely lady and uh, i thank her very much for coming back on the podcast i love the chat don't forget to check in in a couple of days where i'll be going through some of my notes and reflecting on this conversation with helen so that'll be out in the next few days next monday will be just an episode from me where i'm going to pick out something that may be happening uh on linkedin lately that's been very popular and just have an initial thought about it i'm doing a lot of work in the behind the scenes to do a bit more around that um so there'll just be a little chat coming next monday and then the following monday we've got the kickoff episode of our new quarterly co-host which is rob fisher if those of you that know rob fisher he does the essential leadership cycle work he's a human organizational performance guy based over in america but he does things slightly differently um which is really interesting and this mini series not mini series this quarterly co-host three episodes is really fascinating because it's going to be essentially a step-by-step -step journey through his model 
you know, you're going to get a real insight into working with him and, and how he kind of manages stuff. It really is a, a kind of how-to manual of that next evolution in kind of a better culture, a safer business, a more effective business. So make sure you check that out. Not next Monday. Next Monday is just me waffling on. The following Monday will be me and Rob Fisher just going in depth into step one with his style of implementation, I suppose, and how to evolve into the next level. Don't forget to check out Paradigm Human Performance. Their learning organization webinar is phenomenal, so go check that out. But if you're a small and medium-sized enterprise and you feel like you need a bit more support and safety, then please check out Paradigm Human Performance's HSC subscription service. I have every bit of faith in Paradigm, and I love what they're doing. I wouldn't be telling you about them. I wouldn't be partnering with them if I didn't agree with what they do. Go check them out, please. They are so good, and they will help you out. And even if you don't work with them, just check out that webinar because it is a gold mine, a gold mine of information. And finally, if you're a safety professional, you're a operational professional that manages safety or risk, or you're even a risk professional, then Project Miletium is the mastermind community for you. We are focused on having valuable conversations within our community to help us all grow we run that in our weekly community calls our brand new philosophy call that we run every month where we do some real in-depth conversations around things like what is safe what even is safe hosted by an an expert i suppose he would hate that i call him that but he's an expert compared to me a hobbyist maybe let's call him that, a hobbyist philosopher um within safety a guy that's doing so much work in his name is simon cassin runs a company called ouch training he's a safety professional he's got an amazing background but has recently over the last few years within his education took on kind of philosophy and realized that Actually, we, we significantly lack philosophy within the safety profession. So we've been talking to him how we can help him get his message out there. And he's going to facilitate a monthly philosophy call for the Project Meletia members exclusive. I am not aware of any philosophical conversations going on around safety other than at Project Meletium. So if there's one reason you should join, that's probably it. But actually, our community calls are phenomenal. Our wagon wheel yesterday just made my heart melt. It was just so raw and powerful and emotional. It was just amazing, amazing. And we've got a book club that we run every month as well. And then there's loads of resources for our community. And the conversation we have in our LinkedIn group, some of the most rich, in-depth conversations I've seen. I've seen we, we're collaborating on loads of stuff. We're helping each other build our management systems our culture our behaviors and work absolutely everything absolutely everything so go check out project Meletium or dm me or dm colin nottage the other co-founder or email me and colin at me at projectmeletium.com all the details in the description below but if you let us know we can get you on a free of charge call to try it out first thanks for listening to this conversation with helen i'll catch you in a couple of days while i reflect and i'll catch you next monday when i'm talking about well anything really but i think you know what i'm going to be talking about catch you later peeps safe the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilized in real life as the only solution available assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies 
No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson. 